Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. My name is Keep Your Human Digits Off Me, Please. It's a family name. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for short trek number one, Runaway, comes to you now via malfunctioning replicator and just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode pete we are of course foaming at the bit here so eager to go to the star trek discovery panel at new york comic-con two days away as we record this and uh, can't wait to see all our star trek friends there at the hulu theater yes i said it here we are talking about an all access slash space slash Netflix property, but the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden, and uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, it's a second straight uh, New York Comic Con appearance for Star Trek Discovery. Uh, they're going to have the panel moderated by Rebecca Romain, who's playing uh, number one um, aboard the Enterprise. Uh, the uh, the role that uh, Major Barrett Roddenberry originated in the uh, the original Star Trek pilot, and supposedly we are going to get Ethan Peck in the house, uh, young Spock, and I'm sure Matt, we're going to see clips. Uh, but not only that, we've got an official date now on uh, season two, as far as a premiere is concerned. Well. At least an official month. We have yeah. uh, January 2019, which I have to admit, Pete, you know, as somebody who can separate my love for Star Trek and my other feelings for CBS All Access, I was completely convinced that 31 days after the last short Trek dropped, that's when the new season would start because then it would be a new billing cycle if blah, blah, blah. And uh, no, it's going to be a little bit sooner than that. I was projecting, I don't remember the exact date, but something like, you know, February fifth mm -hmm. or february 6th and here it is at least january so that's closer than i had it and i will take it pete i will take it any other date to keep in mind we have a specific date for the next short trek calypso and that'll be november 8th so looking forward to that one already and of course we'll be there to bring that to you after our new york comic-con goodness with that let's head into our mission briefing We begin with Discovery in space here as we head into Cargo Bay 3 and learn that Shift 5 has ended. Stellar shot there of the Worker B. Though this is not obviously a full episode of Starship Discovery, it does not have a full complement of the cast, etc., etc., uh, though it's largely limited to, uh, to the mess hall and to Tilly's quarters, Nonetheless, this opening scene here is a statement to say we're delivering you a smaller package, but we're still going to give uh, plenty of punch. And that worker bee there, I know it's a, perhaps a strange thing to geek out about, but come on, in Star Trek. Worker bees appeared in uh, the motion picture briefly. So, of course, we're going to spend a little time phoning over the worker bee here. And to me, it was just this moment to really say, you know, we're going to give you a solid, maybe not 15 minutes, a solid, you know, 13 minutes and 45 seconds as Cargo Bay 3 gets set for standard decontamination. Between the effects, the makeup scene on the runaway Poe here in a little bit, we have all the trappings, Matt, 
of a full-blown episode just wasn't the length. And you know what? To get me a little bit each month for the next four months before I get my season two, it's all good, man. As uh, the computer turns on and unlocks a cargo container, Pete, we get a strange new creature. See what I did there? Uh, but uh, translucent, bleeding red. Pete, is this going to turn into like a Predator mashup? Have, have the universes collided? They have not. But no sooner do we have the glowing blood on the floor of Cargo Bay 3 than we are whisked to uh, Anson Sylvia Tilly's quarters, explaining to her mother, never seen close up, Matt, something we will surely talk about in our Long Range Centers segment. Uh, but her mother's name is Saban, and she's talking to her about uh, her stepsister and the command training program. And not just that, mom has plenty of praise for Tilly's stepsister. Uh, and mom doesn't want uh, Tilly to fail and to run away as she did in the past. Get a Pete runaway because there's two runaways in the episode. Nice bit of wordplay there. I'm not being sarcastic. But we get, I mean, we've, we've heard a little bit about mom already. But to get more of it here, again, you know, it's kind of a teensy delivery of mom, but potent story-wise, how can your heart not break when, A, she's being compared to her sister, in this case, a stepsister, B, I think on a certain level, you're kind of saying, you know, Pete, not that, not that a mom can't love biological and step and adopted and this and that all together, but I think the initial reaction is, oh my goodness, mom, you're kind of stepping over your daughter for your stepdaughter, and we're immediately on Tilly's side. We are. I want to temper that a little bit because her mother does express her feelings for uh, Tilly positively, tells tells her she loves her, that she'll talk to her soon. And then, of course, Tilly screams into her pillow. Pete, mom had made a passing reference to make sure that uh, she wasn't overdoing it with caffeine. And we get immediate payback there, uh, at least immediate for us in the story. It's a little later for Tilly. She's ordering a quadruple espresso, which, of course, is not recommended. It's exceeding the recommended this, that, and the other. Pete, why does the mess hall computer have to represent the nanny state? Can't you just have your quadruple espresso and your chocolate cake for lunch? It's my best friend. Shh. Uh, but she gets it uh, with the milk substitute. So, you know, she is she is watering it down just a little bit. Um, but I particularly enjoyed the moment afterward, Matt, where she says it's like a mantra here. I will remember to expect nothing from this espresso. I release you espresso. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, if if not some therapeutic technique she's been taught her own and i thought as far as solo tilly moments here one of the one of the most endearing well and i think that in that moment it really is capturing leaning into a quote-unquote story problem uh and i'll i'll qualify that to say it's not a problem that we're getting more star trek it's not a problem that we're getting short treks but just in terms of you know, hey, Kurtzman and uh, Jenny Lumet are going to sit down and write this short trek. What don't you have? Time for a full episode, budget for a full episode, cast for a full episode, etc. So how are you going to turn those negatives into a positive? If it's going to be about Tilly, be about Tilly, darn it. Let's see her 
going through at least what we can infer is a, a small portion of her morning routine where she takes that moment and pauses and takes stock of, of life, the universe, everything, whatever it is, takes, you know, says her mantra, something that I think for many of us could be what you utter when you're in the shower or, you know, brushing your teeth in the morning or that kind of thing. Show that, give that to us. They did do that. And it's a, it's a story positive, not a throwaway thing or not a, you know, but where is Burnham and Saru? You know, it's, it's, it's leaning into the focus of this whole endeavor. Well, no sooner has she released her espresso than the replicators after some chittering and some fluttering there, of course, by Poe are releasing spaghetti with meat sauce, gelato, lasagna, lemon ice cream, donuts, cheeseburgers, Caesar salads, french fries, lycopene, which was actually a throwback to season one, Matt. We'll see if you can remember what that was from. Chicken noodle soup, chicken pot pie, cheesecake, snacks, snacks, snacks. Snacks and snacks, what are snacks? To think, Pete, each one of those if it doesn't have an entry in memory alpha, it's going to get one. And if it does have one already, now it's going to get updated. It's glorious, Pete. Do you remember the lycopene? Um, Pete, here's how my brain works. I remember the uh, polypeptide cake or whatever from <laughs> Star Trek Next Generation, but I must admit I do not remember the lycopene. I guess now, Pete, that we... <sighs> Dusted off the old all access subscription. I got to go back and rewatch season one. But tell me about the lycopene. Lycopene is in uh, tomatoes, um, healthy ingredient. Uh, remember when oh, yes. Burnham was training with Tilly, uh, getting her running there. The burrito. The breakfast burrito with the salsa, no computer, roasted tomato salsa healthy amounts of lycopene. So a uh, nice little nugget there. Uh, nod back to Tilly and season one. Well, Pete, look how it's all connected here, or at least how my crazy brain is going to connect it. We're talking about breakfast burritos. What also should you mm -hmm. have for breakfast? Juice. What kind of juice? Orange juice, orange blood. That's what Tilly sees moments before the food synthesizer goes crazy. Um, and, and leading towards Poe, and Tilly finally meeting. Poe turns visible. Uh, we see her as an alien female with spikes on her back and uh, pointy teeth. And after some quick uh, analysis, it uh, it appears that she is Zahian, which is a lovely word to say and a lovely word to look at. Kudos, Star Trek, for coming up with a, just a nice new species name. The makeup, the nose ring, the uh, strange closing of the eyes in a different way. Again, all on display here as a as a full bodied episode, albeit in the shorter runtime. Pete, have you heard about Zahia? Because they just got warp <laughs> technology. Uh, there's also some analysis. Uh, she's age 17, and I thought a really well written line you know i know that uh pete always kurtzman not our, our our favorite person here but uh maybe it was a jenny lumet line uh but bottom line the line she's a teen and a kid and i thought that was a great mm -hmm. that's a great way to sum up not just that kind of time in one's life but to say you know this is not 17 going on 
you know, go, going on the captain rank. I mean, you imagine Kirk at 17, he probably was just a more brash version of him, you know, later in life. She, she's a wee baron, Pete. Nor is she contagious here. The censors would have initiated quarantine protocol, uh, but she's gotten her taste of ice cream, primarily sugar. Sugar is awesome, Matt. Sugar is awesome, Pete. Hopefully one of these days we can get some of those fancy, uh, I don't I, I, I guess there's less healthiness to these food, uh, food, uh, replicators, food synthesizers, you know, l- let's get to the 24th century and, uh, all that, you know, commander Troy, uh, calorie free chocolate ice cream, but I digress Pete Poe, who I believe at this point is yet to be properly named, but we can do it cause we've all seen the episode. She likes ice cream, Pete, she's given a burrito. There's a whole burrito theme here. And uh, also a great character moment. Poe hisses at Tilly when Tilly tries to take the burrito back. So what does Tilly do? Tilly hisses back. It was awesome. Uh, just just to see that. Tilly, again, such a such a popular character. Um, and Mary Wise's portrayal just uh, sparkles, particularly across this shorter runtime. Um, but you know, with the, the family name nod here for the, the first time, um, you know, a, a tip to the ultimate realization that she is a queen. And now the, uh, the translator, the universal translator from the, uh, communicator in play here, we find out that, uh, she, um, built something when she was nine, she's got a gift for uh, engineering. Uh, she's injured. She's far away from home. She's boarded Federation ship unauthorized. All of this is a very, very big deal. And Tilly goes into protect mode. She's worried about Poe winding up in the brig. She's worried about herself winding up there. Pete, I'm sorry. As you were describing all these character motivations, character concerns, indeed, parallel character direction here, which of course is I think the theme of the episode in general, I was not able to pay attention to any of that because I have questions about the universal translator. We saw in season one, how it would like dub you. And now it's syncing the alien language, to the aliens lips. Why are they treating this like a TV show, Pete? Why haven't they authentically created an alien uh, culture and then a further alien language and then further had linguists uh, teach that to her over the course of months or years? <laughs> What what is going on? Well, listen, you know, what with Anson Mount joining the show for season two, clearly he has relayed to the producers and the writers the difficulty, nay, the futility in creating his own hand sign language that wasn't American sign language that he used throughout an eight episode, nearly interminable run of Inhumans. No fault of his own, I should I should stress. But, of course, joking aside, Pete, because if we're going to get that hung up on how the Universal Translator works, then I think we're kind of missing the point of Star Trek, which is just to talk about people working together and infinite diversity and infinite combination, not going that crazy about the warp, uh, warp speed graph and things of that sort. Um, anyhow, Pete, as you mentioned, Poe has now officially been named. I like, by the way, a nice little writer flourish here, Big, long, gigantic, gigundulous, multi-name name. And uh, it's a 
two-letter, one-syllable name that, that we will know her colloquially. Um, and then Pete, people are coming. It's time for their food. Poe disappears until he blames a hormonal rabbit. Mood swings, you know, having escaped from the lab. But we wind up back in Tilly's quarters here, uh, searching for recent incidents for planet Zahia. And Poe, suddenly much, much more talkative, much more uh, congenial, explains that Zahians are the only species born at the same time as their planet, which Tilly doesn't seem to believe temperatures would be too hot. Um, but the the meta idea within this episode that uh, Poe explains to Tilly, you have no idea what's possible. I think too, it's it's maybe full circle, maybe might be a tad too far. But it's, I mean, we're very clearly in this shorter amount of time. We're very clearly getting a little ecological uh vegetables with our meal here and that's okay it's star trek to really hammer home we're twin you know we i'm extending poe's definition to all of us pete we are twins with the planet we're part of the natural planet we are linked things like that it's a nice reminder it's a nice reminder in this you know less than 14 minute episode it you you can see the metaphor for what it is and it's a it's a good reminder it's as simple as that um, but Pete, we're not going to stray too far from all things Star Trek because, uh, what did they do on that planet? Well, they, uh, mined dilithium and being a twin as she is with her planet, uh, this natural balance in the caves that they've established. Um, and suddenly Tilly comes back with what amounts to a galactic APB out on, uh, old Poe here. She's strategically critical uh, through a diplomatic uh, hail that uh, she's received here that she has to be kept safe at all costs, uh, alive and secure. Um, Not a fugitive as we later come to learn. But uh, when she can cloak and disappear, of course, uh, Tilly sounds and is worried that she's sounding like her mother here telling her not to to disappear. this is when Poe comes with the, the the true sadness of her story. Indeed, it is, and uh, the, again, the parallels between the two characters, I think, being made uh, appropriately clear. They don't overdo it; they don't underdo it, and uh, pretty quickly they get to the uh, the meat and potatoes of it all. What was Poe doing? She was building a dilithium recrystallization incubator. Man, Pete, if the future crew of the Starship Enterprise, what without their Enterprise and on a uh, a Klingon uh, warship and the, the dilithium troubles and going back to Earth in the 1980s and saving the whales, Pete, it's all connected. It's ecological. It's Star Trek. But bottom line is this, Pete, Zahia is now the most politically relevant planet in the galaxy on account of this dilithium recrystallization incubator. Is that enough? multi-syllable star trek words for you but the heart of it is that she built it for her sister not her stepsister matt but her sister the planet here so obviously she doesn't get overmined you know like those klingons like to on the moon of praxis and the worst part pete no one has been listening to poe 
just like no one listens to Tilly, and it's a, it's a, it's just an incredibly sweet moment. You can see how it's been constructed in the writing and whatnot, but it's it's sweet, probably because of the performances of these two actresses. No one else knows how to build the dilithium uh, recrystallization incubator. She didn't share it. She calls her people vultures, which is all the more striking given her later uh, acknowledgement that she's about to be coronated uh, the the queen there. Um, but uh, this big door, the, the metaphor is that uh, Tilly explains that she's unlocked um, that, that she's got to face this, uh, that her planet's moving to the next phase in its evolution, having just achieved, uh, warp capability here. And it's Poe who is the evolution. I had to wonder, are they talking merely about the evolutionary process? Was there maybe a little like, Hey, Star Trek needs to keep evolving. There needs to be that, that evolution of, of our warp speed, our Star Trek. Maybe that's reading too much into it. I don't know. But bottom line, no one loves Zahia like Poe. And uh, with that, Pete, final scene, it's time for her to get ready to go back. Yeah. Uh, setting the coordinates in the transporter there. Of course, Poe sniffs it. And she knows all about its functionality. Um, but we find out her brother was the king, the parents dead as well. So tomorrow will be her coronation, but she wasn't ready. That's why she ran away. Yeah, it's it, it's a nice story flourish. It's a nice opportunity for, I think, everyone in the audience to say, you know, I underestimated her. I took her as this weirdo, lowly uh strange alien and because she's hissing and this and that and the other there's no way she could be at the top of the uh the social chain on her planet again a little star trek message in there nothing too over the top um but uh before poe leaves she gives tilly a dilithium crystal from her planet uh which i didn't know if that's like hey notice this thing because it will become a thing in season two uh time will tell with that pete it's time to beam down and the invite to come to Zahia at some point. So who knows if that could ever be followed up on as well. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. Who are we going to be focusing on out of all the characters in this episode? Who possibly could be the one that's, that's causing trouble on the ship and upsetting the order of things? None other than Queen Poe. Uh... As, as villains go, who turn out to be uh, people we can sympathize with and young women, young, uh, young <laughs> later age children, etc. Uh, certainly quite a villain. Yeah, this 17-year-old uh, future queen here, the ability to, uh, to make herself disappear, bleeding, uh, glowing blood, has... Uh, not so much fingers as talons, the crazy uh, facial uh, appearance, and uh, really an interesting character. One wonders what more we would have gotten out of her in a regular-sized installment. Well, I think there's the hope that this episode and perhaps the other the other three uh, are going to fuel things in the main season. I mean, I know there's the there's the one later on with the character that we're getting introduced 
in a short trek than making his way to season two. But we'll talk about that when it happens, Pete. In this episode, actress Yadira Guevara Pripp is uh, the one playing Poe. And, it, it, you know, again, for 13 minutes and 45 seconds, it's a nice arc from weirdo alien intruder with crazy special powers and sci-fi tropes like cloaking and, you know, if it bleeds, we can kill it and things like that to royalty, to somebody who is incredibly intelligent, to somebody who we can infer on the scant information given in this episode. We can infer that when we get to the 24th century and uh, dilithium uh, incubation chambers are an easy thing and they're being reconstituted and recrystallized like nothing, I think we can make the inference that it's because of Zahira and it's because of Poe's work that 100 years later that will be a thing. And uh, if we never hear from, uh, from Poe again, that'll nonetheless be quite a legacy for her. Pretty multifaceted performance when you think that she goes from playing her as a creature to playing her as a kid, to playing her as the future leader and tremendously intelligent um, leader of the planet Zahia. Let's analyze some theories. Pete, the first one here, not a, a silly ponderance of uh, Universal Translator, uh, technology and whatnot some speculation on twitter that in that final scene there in the uh in the transporter room do we see tilly expressing some uh some, some feelings of uh same-sex attraction towards poe i i read a little bit of that um we've seen the uh it's it's not a bromance it's a womance between her and and Burnham, these these really good friends. Um, does it does it have to be picked up sexually? It it could, romantically. Um, I prefer to read it that way. Uh, doesn't mean that that's the intent. Um, but again, for a show in Discovery that has broken new ground with the first openly gay um, Starfleet character. Uh, regular on the show uh, in Lieutenant Stamets. And then you had uh, Dr. Hugh Culver, uh, you know, in, in season one. Um, you know, why can't it be that? I think, too, probably in the grand Star Trek tradition, you know, is this going to be some great turn now for Tilly? You know, is this is this a insight into this being an ongoing storyline, her, her orientation? Probably not. I think it's probably the best Star Trek answer is if that's a uh, if that if that has not been an area of interest in the past, who cares if it's an area of interest now? That might be that might serve the best story master just in terms of, hey, you know, you don't need to have this label or that label. You know what? Uh, you come across as a hand and you can feel what you need to feel, Pete. Yeah. Shifting gears, Matt, uh, Tilly's mother. Uh, we hear a voice. We never see a face. Uh, one has to wonder, is the voice dubbed? And uh, will we know who, will we recognize the actress playing um, Siobhan, playing uh, uh, Tilly's mother? It's funny, the way the shots were constructed, 
it didn't jump out at me initially that there was perhaps a sleight of hand going on. Um, but in retrospect, that really is what it feels like. Indeed, it's not initially clear because of the the mid shot on Tilly sitting at her desk. It's not immediately clear that they're in uh, holophone mode. You know, perhaps mm-hmm. it was just screen screen communication. Um, and then you get, as you said, uh, you get that shot of mom walking away from the camera. Indeed, Pete, the mid shot on Tilly, then to a very wide shot. So kind of analyzing that shot choice. Uh, and and some of those other camera things uh, given to us by the director, one mere, really must wonder if director Mahavrilo was uh, was trying to hide who that was. So I think that's an excellent theory, and I think there's I think that's one to watch for. You know, does Poe return? Eh, maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, does the dilithium crystal end up being a thing? Uh, you know, sixty percent chance yes. I would bet. Pete, I'd bet all the gold plus gold pressed platinum that I have in my hand right now that we're going to see more <laughs> about mom, and that's going to be a a, a a big reveal. Well, much was made of Marina Surtees' trip to Toronto uh, a little earlier this year. Not saying she's playing Siobhan. I'm not saying she's not. Well, let me put it this way, Pete. If she already has played something for Star Trek Discovery then went to a convention about two weeks ago and uh pete i won't say the word tilly used but then s talked the concept of of paying for star trek as one does yes. for cbs all access which okay we've discussed the pros and cons whatever fine then basically said uh words to the effect of star trek was perfected with star trek the next generation and there need not be star trek after classic trek and next generation um that might play for the you know uh angry ultra gold front row people who you know who who pay for those seats but that move this way pete if if they're still if they were still working out that contract i that could be a way to not end up on star trek discovery uh it certainly could and uh you know made some made some ink and some headlines with that one more from me, Matt. When exactly does this episode take place? Well, clearly it's after the end of the first season. Uh, if you're saying, yeah, but what about the exciting, like, look, it's the Enterprise, nervous looks from everybody, tears in the eyes of the audience, the end. You know, I mean, it literally could be the next day. It could be, it could be at some undetermined point. Uh, my bet would be, yes, season two is going to presumably pick up right away after season one. But I bet if we keep it filed away as we're watching episode 201, 202, to kind of get a sense of when is there the pause? When is there kind of the relaxation moment for the, the main crew of Discovery? I don't mean main like the main stars, you know, where maybe it's, you know, Burnham and Pike take the shuttlecraft and the story stays with them. And you can imagine, meanwhile, back on shift, uh, on the ship, everyone is like, ah, oh, okay, back to normal shifts and things like that. It's at that earliest point that I would insert this story. Yeah. And I, I think it could certainly fit there. Who's to say that this didn't happen before they encountered the Enterprise in that, uh, you know, uh, spate of time? Well, Pete, Pete, this is where I need to declare timeline, timeline, because <laughs> Tilly was 
Tilly was made an ensign. At least it was very heavily implied that she was newly minted an ensign at that uh, award-giving ceremony on Earth. Then they presumably immediately, you know, strapped into their seats. Certainly the discovery was still uh, on Earth. Then they made the trip to Vulcan and were intercepted and the Enterprise shows up. So, you know, season season one ended minutes uh well maybe some time in warp but you know it ended very very quickly after she was made an ensign so i don't think she's had time pete to sit to relax to have the quadruple espressos etc with that pete let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir pete some chatter on twitter who is this actress playing poe of course we've discussed it is yadira guevara prip and uh, I'll point out, Pete, as of this recording, IMDb not completely up to up to date with her credit. Such, I suppose, is the incredibly secretive world of CBS All Access. Yeah, you know, not even the the PR people uh, letting that one, uh, you know, out from uh, underneath the lid. So uh, some good sleuth in there out of Matt to ferret out that name, of course. Uh, and another tweet here from at T Trekkie. Uh, that's 23-year-old Trekkie. Uh, just watched the Runaway Short Trek. Oh, how I love Tilly. So that's all I'll say. And uh, I think that's how we all feel about Tilly. Tilly is this beloved proxy for the audience um, in that we are all new and we are all inexperienced and we all are geniuses. So thank you, Tilly, for uh, for representing all our genius on screen. It was a smart pick in terms of uh, overall interest to the character. Uh, not that we don't have interest in Burnham and Saru and Stamets, etc. But, you know, when you think of the outsider of this crew, though you might go to Burnham, what with the trouble that she's been into, as a sentimental favorite, we go to Tilly. And this was just a wonderful story. Uh, delightful, quick-moving, poignant to put her through. Well, Pete, speaking of fan favorites, you are a fan favorite on the podcast. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can open Hailing Frequencies on Twitter and find me at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,035. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,035 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. We, of course, always love reviews on iTunes as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. Well, if you are listening to us on the Discovery feed or the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back later this weekend to talk Star Trek Discovery at New York Comic Con. Of course, that Pop Culture feed also getting Runaways, Daredevil, general convention coverage as well. Going to maybe see uh, a director that you're not familiar with, a guy that made some Hobbit movies back in the day and whatnot. It should be a good time had by all, but we'll save that for New York Comic Con coverage and wrap up this episode of Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, with me saying adios to all our listeners and giving you the final word. Have a glorious day.